everyone, welcome back to week four of the podcast. In today's episode, we're talking gut health and IBS, as well as the gut-brain connection. Both Jess and I share our IBS stories and how we were diagnosed. Then we get into the juicy facts of what IBS is, how it gets diagnosed, how gut health plays a role in our IBS, and how IBS is treated. We also get into leaky gut, we chat about some foods that potentially affect gut health, like sugar, gluten, but we'll dive into that. We also touch on probiotics and prebiotics, and then how it can affect our mood, and just rounding off the week with a really juicy podcast. So I will look forward to having you. Hi everyone, welcome back to episode 4 of the podcast. This morning, myself and Jess are going to be getting into gut health, IBS and the gut-brain connection. So we're in studio this morning. Hello Jess. Hello. <laughs> we have got some sneaky coffees, which I guess could be even part of today's topic. Um, but we're going to start off with just sharing our stories. I'm going to go first and then we'll get into breaking it down a little bit more. Um, so my gut health story um, started when, sure, I can't even remember, like since I was a, since I was little, I've always been very anxious. So my stomach would respond sometimes. I definitely had more IBS-C. So there's two different ones. There's the IBS-C and IBS-D, which is based around being more constipated or having a diarrhea effect based on like whatever triggers your gut, that's my understanding. Um, and I would always just have like the sore stomachs and it always went around exam times, uh, boy problems, or if there was some kind of like disturbance in the household. Um, and my stomach would have, that was like my first signs that I didn't have like this luxe gut life. <laughs> it was temperamental and painful at times. Um and then it got to the point where I moved to Luke's place and I think it was when I was starting to have a lot of problems with not getting my period. There was um, what I now know to be um, my Hashimoto symptoms were popping up, but my gut symptoms were at their worst then. So I was getting um, chronic, chronic pain in the right hand side of my stomach and that would also be a mix between IBSC and IBSD, like constantly, like mm -hmm. for three days I'd have one and then the next three days I'd have the other. And there was never this like normal, graceful <laughs> gut to movement. It was always painful or erratic. Mm -hmm. um, and then with that uh, came huge um, bloating. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even bloating because it was actually like a very... Um, hard stomach. Mm -hmm. um, it's like distension. Distension, that's the word yeah. I was looking for. Um, and that's when I was like, this is just, I can't even do this anymore. Like, I mean, chronic, chronic, chronic pain. Um, and then at that point, I was actually looking to go do my yoga teacher training. So I was like, okay. And I think we touched on this on one episode previously, but essentially I went to India and I was like okay I'm dealing with IBS and the way that I was diagnosed was just by a GP it wasn't by like a gut specialist or anything I get asked a lot which endo did you go to or which dietitian and my doctor literally was like you have IBS which is I guess something 
a lot of people deal with is they get this umbrella, sorry, I hit my mic. (laughs) Um, They get this umbrella term of what their stomach issue is and it gets labeled with IBS where it's such a like multifaceted, Mm -hmm. like um, not problem, but like diagnosis, I guess, or lack of diagnosis. Um, So I went to India and I was like, okay, I've got IBS. This is going to be an absolute, excuse my language, shit show and pun. Um, because everything's full of garlic and onions and spices and it's it's and bacteria, and bacteria <laughs> yeah, big one and lentils and chickpeas and everything that would essentially set my gut off from my inadvertent bunny commas diagnosis. So I was like, okay, I can go two ways about this. I can not have an experience and eat rice basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> or I can just accept that I'm going into this new territory and just surrender and whatever happens will happen and like just don't be silly about it like don't drink the tap water you know just be mindful of where you put your mouth (laughs) and what food you eat (laughs) and try to stick to some kind of like norm and I went there and I literally just fully embraced it and about a week in I had no IBS symptoms and I think intuitively I clicked I was like this is not to do with food. My IBS is completely linked to my anxiety. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I let go of like food rules or things that I had been told were bad, not necessarily that were bad for my gut, and just my whole relationship with myself and my body and food as like a side, my IBS has completely gone down, like I'd say by 90%. I still get flare-ups but it's very linked to Hashimoto's which now I can also understand and when I deal with and I nurture the symptoms of my Hashimoto's then my gut falls into place so I don't even look at it from oh I need to make sure like my IBS doesn't flare up I'm like okay like where am I over exercising where am I restricting Mm -hmm. food what is on my plate at work what is going on at home we're in a pandemic well maybe I should just be kinder to myself um and that's that is my story basically so not what I thought it was going to end up being but mine was literally linked to my anxiety so Mm -hmm. yeah um do you mind sharing like because I've been following you for like years and I remember when you were really in the thick of IBS and you would like post kind of pictures of your like stomach being bloated yeah (laughs) I know you tried a lot of things with regards to diet and supplements do you want to maybe give us like a little like summary of like what you tried oh yeah sure well I guess all those things didn't really solve your IBS right no I mean there were definitely periods of relief so I would say the one thing that gave me the most relief without too much like oh my gosh like this feels like I don't have a life was a low FODMAP diet given by a dietitian. Mm -hmm. So I actually, my sister went and my sister and I were having the same problems. And at that point I was like, I don't have the finances to go. And she was like, okay, well, until you do, like this is what my dietitian gave me. It's a very generic one. Mm -hmm. Maybe just start off with this. And I did, and I had less symptoms, but I also knew it wasn't a long-term solution. So I was kind of like, oh gosh, okay. Like so 50-50 of how I felt about it. So I did a low FODMAP diet, can definitely say that it helped minimize the pains, um, but again, low FODMAP, any diet is not is not sustainable in the long term. Mm-hmm. Then um, I tried fasting, mm-hmm. fasting 
was not good for me. Like intermittent fasting? Yeah. Okay. So I was, I won't say times because I just don't feel like that's relevant, but um, for a long period in the morning, I wasn't eating. Mm-hmm. And what that was actually doing was messing with my Hashimoto's, yeah. which was the root problem. Yeah. But I didn't know that. Well, not problem, the root cause of my, um, the things I was experiencing. Um, so what they did was it just messed up my hormones even more and it made me worse. Mm-hmm. So that didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing I tried just before India was um, someone gave me um, the, what's his name? The medical mediums kind of approach. Yeah, I was going to say, did you try celery juice? <laughs> I did. And I mean, it it didn't make me feel good. I kind of felt like, Ironically, it kind of felt like chemical to some mm-hmm. degree because it's such a high salt mm-hmm. or sodium, mm-hmm. sodium or salt. I don't know. Yeah, sodium. same, same, same yeah. to me. Um, uh, drink that it literally was just so invasive. <laughs> but I tried everything because I think when you are in so much pain chronically mm-hmm. all the time, you will try anything, and I think that's what leads people to these even more imbalances: is that they try so many extreme different mm-hmm. sides of the coin that. They don't get to that homeostasis because of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my last one. So I did the medical meeting, but it's so restrictive and it just fed into my old disordered patterns of food. So it wasn't it wasn't beneficial from that aspect either. Mm-hmm. So three different kinds of ways of trying to move through it. And at the end of the day, it came down to my mental health. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so, it's so bizarre. And it's so ironic that, you know, sometimes if you think, which is what most people think, they're like, oh, IBS is my fault. It's like something I'm putting into my body that's making my stomach upset. Therefore, let me try all these different diets and cut out all these different foods. And that actually makes your mental health worse. Yeah. Which actually ends up making your IBS worse. Exactly. Um, so I'm definitely a big believer in just focusing not just, but mostly focusing on the mental health side of things. So what was yours? <laughs> so I was also trying to remember, like, when did it start? Because I think it's something that, like, creeps into your life. And then all of a sudden like, you're like, why is my stomach? Yeah. And I guess, it, so what the research shows is that IBS um, usually starts in, like, early adulthood. So, because that's actually when your brain is, like, developed enough to, like, create this, like, gut-brain connection and create fears and anxieties and things like that. Um, So I kind of remember from the time I was maybe like 19, 20, Mm -hmm. um, that's also when I started getting anxiety for the first time. When I was like 18, I started suffering from anxiety. And after that, I kind of remember being aware of my stomach, like not always cooperating. Um, But I definitely have like more IBSD, so more like diarrhea predominant IBS. And I've never really had, like, cramps and bloating and that kind of stuff. It's more like, if I'm anxious, I'm running to the toilet all the time, yeah. basically. Um, and because it's never been something that really, like, overly affected my day-to-day life, like, it's not a big deal to have to go to the toilet a few more times a day. It wasn't like I was bloated or sore. That I is, feel like sometimes that's the nicer one to have. Not that yeah. there's a nice one to have. In but, a way it was, because I never feel like I was desperate to address it. I was always like, oh, I know it's because I'm anxious at the moment, and I know it'll calm down when, you know, the anxiety calms down, and I never really thought 
to like try dietary approaches all i would do is like obviously if you have diarrhea you're not going to be eating all the fiber in the world or coffee (laughs) yeah or coffee um you're not going to be having like huge salads every day and things like that so i would like lower and i was already when my ibs got bad i was already like a qualified dietitian so i would definitely i've always been so sensitive to caffeine Um, my stomach will definitely like run if i have too much coffee um so i would just like cut out coffee and sort of yeah lower my fiber intake a bit and that's all i would really do there was a time in my life where i went through a really bad mental health period i had an extremely stressful job at a big hospital and my ibs was so bad like it was almost like hard to like keep it a secret from my colleagues because i was literally like rushing to a toilet in the middle of meetings and stuff and um i also started to get like reflux so i started to get heartburn and it was, that was when it really got horrible is that like it was almost like the food was like sitting in my chest and it wouldn't go down and i completely lost my appetite and at that point i actually went to my gp and i got put on a whole lot of different medications so i got put on medication for heartburn i got put on medication for ibs it's called Librax. So it's basically like a kind of sedative and it literally like sedates you and it sedates your gut. Too. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, it's actually, um, it's like a very high schedule drug. And in those days they used to like prescribe IBS. I know now they're like very cautious because it's actually... A sedative. Yeah, it's super addictive too. Well, so yeah, because you feel you great. Feel so good. <laughs> so um, nowadays like, they're so very hard. careful about prescribing it and you would have to take it at night because obviously you can't like function on it yeah. or drive on it or anything so I would like take it at night and I'd wake up the next morning and my stomach was like amazing so how did you feel did you have any other symptoms from it because sometimes if you take like a sleeping pill it can make you feel when you wake up like a bit groggy. yeah not groggy I don't so I remember I was so anxious at the time I think it made me feel good because it's normal it was, like, calming my anxiety a lot like yeah. I was much more functional um I probably really just needed to address my anxiety and I wasn't, you know? Um, Again, like the same. Yeah. And just like, it's so funny. Like as soon as we have, oh, I'm one of those people where I will like address physical symptoms, but I won't address like mental or emotional symptoms, you know? like I used to be like that as well. Yeah. Now I feel like I'm starting to go the other side because yeah. I'm like, food is friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's get that. Um, and like you said, once you had the knowledge, you were able to implement it when it was necessary. Yeah. But mental, yeah, yeah it's king. Sure. Um, so I would like really, I would like wait till like my physical body was like crumbling and then I'd go to the doctor <laughs> and get put on like all these medications for all the physical symptoms. But meanwhile, I wasn't like tackling what was underneath it, you know? Um, and I think that's really important. But yeah, I mean, I think I'll always have IBS to an extent. It's something, I think so as well. Yeah, it's something that's just like, this is how my gut and my brain work. Like, I've got a sensitive gut. I, I almost feel, though, like, to some degree, everyone will have it. Yeah. It's just they don't maybe think about it, or they don't know about it, or it's just not something that even worries them. They're just yeah. like, oh, well, today's going to be one of those days, yeah. and then they move on. Um, and maybe some people just, like you said, experience it a little bit more, so therefore it becomes more of their life. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's about just accepting that this is just part of our body's functions and yeah. that it's a good actually thing to go, oh, maybe there's something I need to address in my mental self right now. Um, I always and say slow to down my patients a bit. also, like, I think 
the body has different ways of telling us that it needs <clears throat> support or that something's going on and all these things are just symptoms at the end of the day um, and for some people like their stress and their mental health kind of is visible in how their gut is functioning for other people it's like their periods start coming some people That's start true. Yeah. losing weight some people start gaining weight some people's thyroids are affected some people start losing hair some people get chronic fatigue some people get autoimmune things so I think everyone's kind of slightly different in how their body is affected by stress but we're all affected by stress to some degree I'm actually doing a module now on stress and it is wild all right so let's actually get into what is IBS so I don't know if you want to maybe take this one yes okay <laughs> so I guess IBS is known as a functional gut disorder so and it stands for irritable bowel syndrome, basically. Um, and it's basically a change in how your gut functions. So either a change in stool patterns or a change in yeah, gas, bloating, those sorts of things. But there's nothing really physiologically wrong with your gut. So if you had to look at the cells in your gut under a microscope, um, or you had to have a colonoscopy or a gastroscopy or anything like that, they can't find anything wrong. If you had to have multiple blood tests, they wouldn't find anything wrong with you. So it's basically just a change in how your gut is functioning from day to day, but it's not really a disease or a condition. Well, it's a condition, it's not really a disease. So is that why sorry to interject, yeah. but is that why so many people struggle with understanding what it is because it can't actually be diagnosed yes so the diagnosis of IBS is based on symptoms okay and it's based on a process of elimination which means if they can't find anything else wrong with you it's now considered IBS so they will usually if you went to like a gastroenterologist they would actually do blood tests to check if you have any like gut disorders or diseases um, to check if there's any inflammation in your gut and if all those blood tests come back clear, and they sometimes check if you're celiac, so if you have like gluten intolerance or gluten allergies, if everything comes back clear, they're just like, okay, well, guess it's IBS. And if the symptoms match IBS, then it's IBS. Um, so a lot of people doubt whether they actually have IBS, I guess. Like they get this diagnosis and they're like, what is this? Yeah. And are you sure? Like, are you sure I'm not dying or something? <laughs> it does feel like it sometimes, yeah. so I understand that. And the, the methods that you spoke about now, is that how one would go about figuring out if they had them? Like, is that how you would diagnose it? By going mm -hmm. to all of those other places before and then just getting a potential, it's IBS. Yeah. I mean, that's super frustrating. I yeah. mean, I can... I didn't go that route. I just went straight to a GP and they they um, slapped yeah. an IBS band-aid on it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can't compare any story when it comes to the gut. Yeah. It's, I do think, though, that I know, like, a lot of GPs kind of, like, I guess also if they have a relationship with their patient, they kind yeah. of know, like, oh, you're an anxious person. Yeah, that's true. And it's my family doctor. Yeah, so like, I'm sure it's sense. IBS. And, you know, you fit the age category of when IBS usually starts and you fit the symptoms and they kind of know that you're otherwise healthy. So they kind of just give you that IBS diagnosis. But I do think it's still important to go through the blood tests. Um, yeah. And literally, there's just three blood tests that are important. Um, Which ones are those? So there's the gluten one. So yeah. it's a celiac okay, screening. Yeah. Because a lot of people are going to 
when they get diagnosed with IBS, they may be going to try cut out gluten and see if that helps. And it's actually important to know whether your symptoms are actually caused by celiac disease or whether they're caused by IBS um, before you cut out gluten. Because once you've cut out gluten, the test no longer works. You get like a false negative on that test. Oh, wow. Um, and I see a lot of patients who've been cutting out gluten for years and we can't do the blood test unless they start reintroducing gluten, which they're not willing to do. So um, I would say do that blood test before you cut out the gluten, because if you are celiac, you definitely, it's not just like, oh, I can't eat bread. It's like, I can't eat anything that's like touched a molecule of gluten, you know? What, I know that this is based around IBS, but Mm -hmm. what actually happens to the gut if you have celiac disease when when gluten enters the gut what actually is happening it actually causes inflammation and inflammation is like swelling pain and redness right so Mm -hmm. if you like stub your toe and it gets red and swollen and painful that's what's happening inside your gut so it causes an inflammatory response and it actually can cause like a systemic inflammatory response so people often get you know like autoimmune type symptoms from it or they get like bad fatigue they get Um, skin reactions all those sorts of things and it's not just like isolated to the gut necessarily it's not branching out into like yeah the full self into like the whole body but some people do have mild symptoms with celiac that can be very similar to ibs so i do think it's important to get tested for celiac because you don't want to be putting in i guess even just small amounts of gluten into yourself if you do have celiac um it is very rare to have celiacs but it's worthwhile just getting that blood test um, there's another blood test called fecal calprotectin, which is it's basically looking for inflammation in your in your gut. Um, they actually look in your stools for signs of inflammation. So if there is inflammation going on, then it could be something like celiacs. It could be a cancer um, somewhere in the gut, and it also could be something like IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative yes. colitis. Those my sorts friend of has Crohn's, and it's not, it's not fun. Yeah, I mean, so, she lives a very, very, very. Um, yeah, it's just you have to be so mindful of everything that you consume. Basically. It is a really serious illness, you know. But I think sometimes the symptoms can be very similar to IBS. True. So she thought I had it. That's why. So she yes. reached out to me and she's like, "Oh my gosh, cans! Like, this is the stuff that I went through, and I really recommend that you go for testing and all of that." Luck, luckily, I didn't have yeah. um, that because I'm sure I would have experienced more symptoms now with how I eat. Yes. Um, it's so real I, I, my heart goes out too yeah for sure so I think like just doing I guess even just those two tests mm. it's just like a general screening to be like oh is anything else wrong with you and can that be um, prescribed those tests by a GP yeah so you can just go to your doctor and be like I think this could potentially be it can I have the, the yeah. papers to do the test so if your doctor says to you and your dietitian can also send you for those blood tests. Um, so, but I would say if you go to your GP and they say, you know, it's IBS, say to them, can you do some blood tests and just yeah. double check, you know, that it is nothing else. Like, let's just be thorough here. Because um, sometimes GPs, yeah, don't, <laughs> I don't want to, yeah, I mean, there are different types of doctors out there, but sometimes GPs don't go the full hug in terms of all the testing that should be done you know given a blanket before giving a diagnosis um yeah cool 
So, I mean, now we've spoken about the doctor's approach. Let's maybe also touch on, like, how does gut health play a role in IBS? So I'm assuming that would be, like, what we're consuming. Yeah. I guess, like, you know, the whole topic of gut health has been really popular in the last few years. It's all over my newsfeed. Yes. <laughs> and it's, like, such a buzzword at the moment. And everyone's all about probiotics and fermented foods and... I guess, yeah, the gut microbiome and all these, you know, lifestyle things that we can do to improve our gut health. And I think as modern humans, um, we probably don't have great gut health in general just because we are, there's so much in our lifestyle that limits our exposure to bacteria actually which is so important for building up a healthy gut microbiome and things like that and also even more yeah yeah with all the sanitizers and yeah i actually discussed that with one of my doctor friends and i was like what do you think all this sanitization is doing to people's gut health yeah it's a good question yeah and he was like okay well we'll I mean, this is like an urgent thing, so we have to sanitize. He's like, but we'll see in 10 years' time, you know? Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there is there's a thing called the hygiene hypothesis, which is basically that we think that the rise in like allergies and autoimmune conditions can somehow be related to the fact that we live in a very hygienic society and we don't let our immune systems fully develop by being exposed to bacteria. And part of that is you know important for gut health and important for the gut to develop all its microflora and things like that um i saw some stats somewhere like where they compared the microbiome biome of like i guess hunter-gatherer humans to like modern day <laughs> humans and we've lost like 90 percent of our gut bacteria um frightening yeah and that's just but because also, i guess that makes sense based on your statement that yeah. like our life our lifestyle way of living is so different. I mean, we're not really living in a cave. Yeah, we're not like touching Shoot. dirt all day yeah. and Walking eating. And, yeah, which is actually great for your yeah. microbiome. I think there's. I, think well, I, I don't know. I, I guess mean, it's something about putting your feet in soil. I know. I don't know. See, this is the thing. I feel like it's a hippie thing. <laughs> <laughs> like why? But I mean, I'm. Sh- it feels nice, and it's definitely there's like definitely trigger or. I don't know, whatever, things on your feet that get massaged when you walk barefoot. and But I don't know how it affects your gut health. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I'm big on like, you know, I've researched a lot about like breastfeeding and birth. And even those things really affect your microbiome, like whether you were breastfed or not. Um, whether how you were born. Yeah, whether you were a C-section baby or vaginal birth. Um, because actually baby's first exposure to like healthy flora is through the vaginal canal um, so if you're c-section which is like most births in South Africa these days then you don't really get that exposure um, that first exposure and that first bit of immunity because our yeah, gut is our exactly immunity um, so yeah so I guess we're we're all probably in similar spaces when it comes to gut health um, depending on you know small factors like just differences in diet and differences in birth practices and things like that but I don't think that really um, has much to do with IBS um, from the research that I've done you can have a very healthy gut and still have IBS because like we've said IBS is more to do with mental health anxiety yeah you know, how your gut responds to to stress basically stress I honestly think that actually needs to be a topic 
Yeah. Like, the, the more we talk about it, I'm like, we need to talk about stress. <laughs> and, you know, you said that um, most people to some extent have IBS. And I guess it wouldn't be, like, diagnosed as IBS because they're not having symptoms. You know, I think the minimum for IBS is you have to have symptoms, like, three times a week for a certain period of time. So it's not IBS as such, but everyone has a connection between their brain and their gut. And everyone... Well, you know, we all know that when humans get really scared, like when they're about to die, they throw up or they just defecate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's just your gut kind of releasing because of the nervous system signals it's getting. It's actually a survival mechanism because if we were in the wild and we like needed to run from danger, it helps to like just empty your gut so you can run faster. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Funny. You need to realize. What about for me though? My body does the opposite. Mine holds on. Yeah, it just gets tighter. <laughs> it's like no, you need this in case you're not gonna eat forever. Yeah. I think with with IBSC, it's kind of like I always think of it as like all those muscles just get into a spasm. Like they That's they true, get so stressed yeah. that they just yeah they kind of can't just release and relax because part of like going to the toilet is just like your rectum and everything has to relax and let it out and your pelvic floor has to relax. I think, yeah, I think maybe that's just how our, our brains connect to anxiety or stress maybe. So maybe it's the stress that brings mm-hmm. on that more IBSD symptoms, but the anxiety, because that's like the holding, like of brain, yeah. of shoulders, yeah. of your bum. Like yeah. it holds everything because it's in such a f- more fright than flight. Yeah. I don't know. This is just my little well, you know, hypothesis <laughs> right now. Please don't take that as like Bible. <laughs> you know, um, our like adrenaline response, they call it like mm. fight or flight, right? Um, and I guess it depends. Everyone, so some people, are, some people freeze. I'm a freeze. Some though. people fight and some people flight. So if you're like a flight person, you're going to be IBSD. Yeah. Because you're going to want to like let it all out so you can run. <laughs> And if you're maybe if you're like a freeze person, you're gonna be like IBSC, or if you're a fight person, you're gonna be IBSC because you're like yeah. let's just tighten up and yeah. get ready to fight. You know that's actually like a really fun way <laughs> to explain to kids. Yeah, <laughs> this is what your gut is doing. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, so let's dive into like how would you treat IBS? I mean that's a huge question, mm-hmm. but hey, let's give it a go. <laughs> I think, well, we don't know yet. I mean, science doesn't have a, a proven treatment for IBS. So there are some medical treatments, like I spoke about the medication that I was on. Um, there are some supplements that have been proven to help certain aspects of IBS, you know, like probiotics can help with certain symptoms. Um, peppermint oil capsules have been proven to help with certain symptoms. So that's not a treatment, it's not a cure, but it's kind of helping to calm certain symptoms. Definitely, um, there have been a lot of studies on yoga, mindfulness practices, um, anxiety treatments, psychotherapy, and showing that all those things help IBS symptoms. Which then, again, Yeah, because it's literally treating your anxiety. If anything, I always say to my patients, the studies on, um, on mindfulness practices and yoga and psychotherapy with IBS are stronger than the studies on any diet that's crazy like even and the low part sense because I went to do my yoga teacher training yeah and that's when my IBS yes. kind of stopped 
And I'm sure you know from yoga, like, there's certain poses that are amazing for, oh, like, amazing. releasing I mean, that. this might be a bit TMI, but, like, there are some that really help with IBSC that I sometimes even do on the toilet. Mm-hmm. So, like, the way that you breathe in and then you slightly twist your body and you continue doing that and you're basically massaging the gut and just mm-hmm. helping it, like, move, mm-hmm. that has been a game changer. And I still use that. Yeah. And that was actually a sitting pose in my teacher training. Yeah. Because whenever I did it, I was like, sorry, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> Even to pee, because that's also connected to your yeah. nervous system. And I found that when I'm very nervous or anxious, or if I have too much coffee, my IBS also goes to urination. Yes. Like, I will pee yes. so much more. Yes. Um, and that's also, I think, what people don't keep into account with IBS. It's not necessarily, I don't, I don't know. For me, like, it was also my urine, urinary tract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was linked to that as well. Yeah, um, it's another nervous yeah. like symptom. Like I know a lot of, I think women specifically get that kind of like feeling of needing to pee all the time. Almost like a feeling like you have a UTI. Yeah, but not the pain. Or yeah, anything. I have that. Yeah, and it's almost just like your. I think your urinary tract is like sensitized. So the second there's like a little bit of urine, you like have this urge to pee. Yeah, you just like run into the toilet all the time. My friend was talking to me about it because she did this course on um like vagina health and all mm-hmm. of this as a physio yeah which i mean she's she loves everything to do with the vagina and then she's <laughs> like she did this whole thing about um basically measuring your pee and noting when you go to the bathroom and all these things and you basically understand like what your urinary tract like does when you drink certain things or when you go for an just-in-case pee and mm-hmm. you don't actually go when you only need it mm-hmm. and all these symptoms that kind of like affect how much you go to the bathroom because mm-hmm. I was like I said to her I was like I'm going to the bathroom like 10 times a day to pee that is not normal is that normal I don't even know and she was like maybe do this yeah I haven't done it so I mean I know I'm also I'm I'm like very interested in this kind of stuff and I know like there's pelvic floor physios and yes that's and what she's doing she's yeah like and that is like a speciality it's so interesting because the pelvic floor is kind of like a muscular structure in a way and it holds like your colon and I guess your bladder and all those things and I know with with IBS I think sometimes especially IBSC it's like your pelvic floor is like tight like all those muscles are tight um and also from like an alternative healing space like they always say like that's your emotional bank of like where you hold emotional trauma or stress and that's why some people who like maybe don't speak their mind a lot they have Mm. very tight pelvic floors which Mm. also relate to like their sexual health yes. and all these things like I mean it's it's super fascinating and I think that's where yoga can be really healing because I mean yoga works a lot with the pelvic floor yes yeah um, and it can like tighten your pelvic floor when needed but it can also teach you to like release your yeah. pelvic floor and relax it so I quickly took a little break and we realized that this would be such a great add-on which was not planned but I mean, for those who are period sensitive, block your ears, but um, <laughs> I have my period and I was saying to Jess now that it's so fascinating how the day before, I won't go to the bathroom that much, but the day of my period, I literally go to the bathroom like five times in the day and I can't help but think that there's this relationship between, I mean, not necessarily IBS, but just how the gut changes around yes. one cycle. Yes. And Jess was like, let's just maybe dig into that for a hot sec. 
Because it's actually something I discuss with my patients a lot. Like I always, in all of my consults, I ask about periods and period symptoms. And then I also ask about like gut and gut symptoms. And then a lot of women are like, I don't know if this is normal, but when I get my period, I kind of like get a bit of diarrhea or like, you know, you get more bloated, you get more gas, that kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, it's totally normal. And I think as women, we should talk about these things more because so many women don't know that it's normal and they think like, they maybe have like endometriosis or something like that yeah they're like maybe i should talk to a gynae about it you know they kind of think something's wrong with them if they get their period and then like they get a bit of diarrhea or a bit of loose stools or so what is actually happening then so they say it's to do with prostaglandins which are kind of like chemical messengers and they are basically the things that like are helping your uterus to contract to get like the lining out during your period and they also bind in the colon and make your colon contract a little bit more. So they definitely have an effect on your colon. And I think like 90% of women know actually that when on the first day or two of their period yeah. or the day before, um, they definitely like go to the toilet more. And then sometimes when the prostaglandins decline, like later in your in your period, like maybe the third or fourth day, and your period starts getting, that's like when you stop getting cramps and your period gets lighter. It's like almost like everything's out, but it's still just slowly yeah. coming like, out. Hey, I'm there still. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of more remnants that are still coming out, but it's not like your body is actively contracting to yes, get things yeah, out. Yeah. And then sometimes people experience constipation, which is also normal. It's kind of like... But also so normal. Yeah. Even if you weren't having a period, I find if I have an episode of diarrhea, it's follows and then I just always try to like you said on the third day being mindful of what I'm eating so like eating maybe a little bit more fibrous towards like the third or fourth day of my period um being a little bit more hydrated than I'm used to not excessive caffeine overload Mm -hmm. and yeah I guess that's it's just crazy how when you eat to accommodate your cycle you can also eat to accommodate your gut health Mm -hmm. to some degree. Like I know everyone has their differences, Um, which I guess kind of falls into the next question, which is, you know, which foods affect gut health and IBS? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. There's some dogs walking by. Anyway. (laughs) Or shouting by. Um, Okay, so anyway, back to it. So like which foods affect gut health and, and IBS? So... Like touching on sugars, gluten, dairy, pre and probiotics. Well, I mean, maybe just yeah. prebiotics. Yeah. I think, so we spoke about like IBS treatments, right? And we didn't mention food as a treatment for IBS. But there are certain diets that have been studied as like IBS treatments. So low FODMAP was the one diet that you tried and you found relief in and I just want to make it clear that a low FODMAP diet is an elimination diet so the purpose of it is actually to figure out which foods trigger your IBS you can't do a low FODMAP diet forever like it's too restrictive you don't get enough nutrients in so you're supposed to do it like under the guidance of a dietitian and you're supposed to do it for a maximum of 12 weeks and in that time you cut out all these foods that could possibly trigger IBS and then you slowly start to re-add them in one at a time to see which foods actually affect you because it's unlikely that all FODMAP foods affect you it's likely that like there's a couple and once you figure that out you can manage your IBS a little bit better but basically um, the low FODMAP diet has been shown to improve symptoms in around 
70 to 80 percent of IBS patients so I mean that's why it's there yeah it's pretty cool I think where the the um the mindfulness of it is is to not extend past the maximum period yeah because that's when you could potentially end up with different symptoms like malnutrition low energy fatigue like all those things because like you said you're not getting a full scope of a varied diet yeah and also, I mean, like we spoke about, it really is so individual. If you're the kind of person where following a low FODMAP diet would completely stress you out, then it's literally just going to make your IBS worse. Yes, 100%. So then it's not for you, you know? Um, so, but IBS, I mean, a low FODMAP diet is considered second line treatment for IBS, which means it's kind of more of a last resort. We try other things before we go there. What's other things? Um, So the first line treatment in terms of diet is basically eating a healthy, balanced diet. And you'd be surprised how many people with IBS just eat like irregularly, you know? So what we found in terms of like gut symptoms is obviously just eating good portion sizes and regular, kind of like small regular meals really helps to regulate your gut well so obviously if you eat very big meals you're more likely to get bloated you're more likely to yeah have like gas and distension and things like that after meals so and that is a th- like if you're intermittent fasting you might be eating like two huge meals a day yeah which is not going to help your ibs um so that's something i always look into with my patients it's like okay what is your meal structure like for the day are you eating small regular meals or are you eating like just like two or three really large meals and can you like break it up a bit more through the day um obviously eating balanced meals eating a good amount of fiber i think some people especially people with ibsd are like scared of fiber um and then some people with ibsc are like overload on fiber almost they're like more fiber equals better and that's not always true no 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 no. i've learned that (laughs) yeah the hard way i actually found and this was only like to my symptoms so i mean don't go do it and again use it as the bible but sometimes i found that when i was eating simple less fiber foods for a period in like a week then it gave my gut some relief of having to like overwork to some degree. Mm-hmm. So it could focus on what was kind of still there. Yes. Past that. Yes. Get enough nutrients and then I could start bringing in like more fibers. Yes. So, but it does take time to understand your body, like how yeah. you feel. Yeah. At the end of the day though, like IBS C is not the same as constipation. No, it's so not. So you can't treat it like constipation. You can't be like, oh, let me just eat lots of fiber and like, drink prune juice and just like hope it releases you're just going to irritate your your ibs more because i never went that far i must say i never thought of that (laughs) people do crazy things or like they take like movicol like yeah i had that but that did not work for me yeah i mean sometimes it's it's the last resort and it's what you have to do yeah but um the worst is like you take it so my doctor's like take this it's gonna help so i took it and then i was like okay and I sit there waiting. And then I read the back of the box and was like, may only work in two to three oh. days. I was like, no, I cannot wait another two, three days for something to work. I was so sad. Um, yeah. I think when it comes to fiber, I always think that, you know, when you have IBS, your gut is basically sensitized. So it's like almost like you can imagine all the nerves around your gut are like in high stress mode so they're like super sensitive to everything so if and a high fiber intake would be kind of like stressful for your gut or would give your gut more work and 
it kind of fiber what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to like scratch the walls of your gut and keep them clean and things like that which is great but if your gut's super sensitive on that day it's not going to feel very good and yeah, it's, it's going to make you sore. yeah it's going to make you more sore more bloated so i think there's a balance with like the types of fibers that you eat with ibs and um how much fiber and it is individual like some people do do really well on a super high fiber diet and other people don't um and yeah that's basically the first line treatment is like hydrating well like drinking a good amount of water um eating the right amount of fiber eating small regular meals and maybe trying a probiotic maybe trying a peppermint oil supplement and for yeah for some people i think we do look into things like gut irritants which you know coffee caffeine is a gut irritant we've spoken about that a little bit alcohol is a gut irritant um very spicy foods can be gut irritants so sometimes we have to look into those things and just see if people are not doing too much of that because mm-hmm. it can really make the world of difference it like can. just cutting down your coffee intake honestly i can say from experience that even just having one less coffee it's so crazy how that tiny little thing just tips it over yes and it could be something that doesn't actually affect your whole day where you think you need to change like these massive changes in your mm-hmm. life it's like taking down something by like a quarter yeah and like you said once and it always sticks with me is the poison is in the dosage Mm -hmm. and i can't remember which episode we spoke about and it always sits with me with everything i'm like you don't need to restrict you don't need to like take out you don't need to completely change your life like it's just small little incremental changes that make the biggest difference Mm -hmm. and talking about small little things let's go into what you mentioned just now probiotics and maybe yes. prebiotics as uh, prebiotics as well. Like, mm-hmm. do do you need supplements? Like, is that like you said your first line of defense? Um, and like, which one should you be taking, or should we be trying to eat them rather than supplement them? So, I guess okay. Let me just say I asked you like ten questions. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Firstly, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of science around like probiotics and prebiotics and basically for those that don't know prebiotics are literally just the food that your probiotics eat and they are it's a type of fiber that probiotics feed off of and so the idea is that if you give your probiotics enough fuel they'll like propagate and be happy and you have more probiotics you know and there is a lot of science around around like saying that if people just supplement probiotics without eating enough prebiotics the supplements don't really do anything because the probiotics have nothing to eat so they just die um and that's not true that's that true? true okay so they've done these studies where people eat like very so if you eat like a very low carb diet like if you're doing keto or banting or something like that then your prebiotic intake is usually low because you're not like where are you getting fiber from you know yeah, if you're just yeah, eating yeah. like cheese and meat and stuff and that's probably why they have so many symptoms coming off of those keto diets yeah. i always see it's like bloating distension yeah. gut pain yeah. like and that's probably because their gut is like hey <laughs> we don't know how to break this down like, yeah what is this? <laughs> well let me tell you like i think if you're eating so we know that the probiotics the probiotics like exist in your colon right um, probiotics are just like healthy gut bacteria that are living there keeping your gut healthy keeping your body healthy um, stopping bad bacteria from like attaching to the walls of the gut and basically 
fiber and prebiotics help to keep those gut bacteria alive so we know that people on low carb diets have like major changes in their healthy gut bacteria and lose a lot of healthy gut bacteria so and i have a lot of patients that'll be like oh when i'm on a low carb diet i don't get any gas or any bloating and i'm like okay but that means your gut's dead inside (laughs) you know sometimes it's like you've just killed everything that's because what creates gas and bloating is your your healthy gut flora like when they're breathing and eating and doing their thing they're basically respiring and they're releasing gas um and then that gas sometimes builds up and you get bloated and i mean that's not necessarily a bad thing yes it can be uncomfortable but it can be a very normal thing like humans do produce gas and humans yeah. do fart and like that's I think normal that's like actually such an important point is normalizing like gas and bloating yeah i mean at the end of the day i don't really believe like you should be a pancake on your stomach like no. you have food in there it needs to take up space yes like after eating you do see a difference in yeah, how your stomach looks it shouldn't be one no. like constant in your day I well that's just what I've always believed I'm like my food needs to go somewhere yeah and it's gonna be in my stomach I mean like, you you have like pets right like you can see after they've eaten their tummies yeah. get like fat you Especially know puppies it's yeah. so cute it's so cute <laughs> and like that's normal that like any animal will eat and like get a little bit of a bump on their tummy yeah um and that's completely normal so normalizing the food baby yeah sterilizing (laughs) your gut like basically killing all your healthy bacteria so that you don't get bloating is not the answer no Um, i 100% and then going like what you said is like people go back to eating fiber or eating carbohydrates and they start getting major like gas and bloating but to me it's like okay your gut's coming back to life like that's that's good such a positive way of looking at it so like not hating on yourself thinking you, you've again you've done something yeah. wrong but rather going i've done something right yeah. and now my gut is coming back to life and things are working and communicating um what is your view on like adding fermented foods and stuff so fermented foods are definitely good for gut health and this is what i was going to say about prebiotics also so let me just say so prebiotics are like types of fiber that your gut bacteria eat and live off of and those types of fiber are actually FODMAPs because FODMAPs are fermentable carbohydrates they're carbohydrates that feed your gut flora so when we talk about like IBS FODMAPs people see FODMAPs as like something bad for you it's not bad for you FODMAPs are really good for you they're really healthy and if you look at all the high FODMAP foods they're like usually really healthy foods like avos and apples and things like that Um, but when you're gut is sensitive and your gut bacteria are eating these foods and producing gas and producing like bloating it can make your IBS symptoms worse so we need to also like just bear in mind FODMAPs are not unhealthy they're good foods and they have good effects on gut health but when your IBS is flaring they might irritate it a little bit Um, so when it comes to like some people think okay well I have IBS so I need more prebiotics let me eat more fiber or let me eat more like beetroots or onions or whatever it is and then they end up eating more high FODMAP foods or I see a lot of people that take prebiotic supplements which has become yeah it's become a big thing um or a lot of 
supplement companies add prebiotics into their probiotic supplements, which makes sense because you're like, oh, we're giving you the bacteria with its food mm-hmm. and therefore it will work better. But for someone with IBS, it can actually irritate your IBS to take prebiotic supplements because you're basically like taking like the the active ingredient that's in like onions and garlic. Oh my gosh, And yes. like swallowing it. <laughs> Um, I think that's obviously why it makes sense to get the right probiotic. Yes. I mean, I found out of all the ones I chose, and I know that it's very like symptomatic and personal, but the real thing. So the real probably the best probiotic, and it was one of the cheaper ones. It's actually the one that actually that I know of that puts prebiotics in. Oh really? But that doesn't mean it's not going to work for you. You know, like I I know I have IBS and I'm fine with all the prebiotic foods. I'm fine with. All the high FODMAP foods, actually. See, that just shows again that like yeah. you can't you can't give one thing that that's all. I've actually stopped taking probiotics though. I don't take yeah. them anymore. Um, I don't know. I just I just stopped. Yeah. So when it comes to probiotics, there's like no conclusive evidence to show that probiotics actually help IBS symptoms. Um, there's mixed research like there are some studies that show it does help some studies that show it doesn't make any difference so what I tell people is like try a probiotic for a month and if you find it helps you keep going if you find it doesn't help you you don't need to keep going like and one should take breaks no you don't need to take break no you don't need to take breaks with probiotics um so if it's working for you and you you just continue working until it doesn't work for you yeah but then how would you know if it's the prebiotics probiotics you don't i have some patients though that say to me like if they just skip two days of their probiotics their stomach flares you know Mm. so some people really find huge relief from probiotics and that doesn't mean like people will interpret that as being like oh it means i didn't have enough healthy flora and i need to keep putting in healthy flora to make my my gut healthy to make the ibs symptoms disappear it's not that it's literally just probiotics kind of calm the nervous system in your gut mm. um like it's just like giving your gut lots of healthy stuff helps it calm down a little bit which is pretty cool that's nice to know because that yeah. honestly was my rationale yeah i was like oh i need to just keep taking it yeah um so that i can have this like healthy gut yeah um so last point um before we end off today's session i know you asked about fermented foods also oh, which we didn't cover let's quickly pop yeah. into that before i ask my last um, question <laughs> And we also need to talk about, like, all the foods that people cut out when they have IBS. Oh, yes, yeah, that's true. Okay, so <laughs> we're not done. <laughs> um, but, yeah, fermented foods, I guess fermented foods are a source of healthy bacteria, like good bacteria. So it can be something like sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha. I found kombucha really messed me up. Yeah, kombucha doesn't like, do good things for me either. No, it's um, not a time. It's but I think, a time. Yeah, I think... There's, so the, the thing with fermented foods is like they put a starter culture in and then they let it kind of just grow. So sometimes the types of flora in there, even though they're good flora, they're sometimes like a little bit imbalancing to your gut, I think. Maybe or like sometimes too much. Too much. Um, I also think the thing with kombucha for me is that it's it's gassy. So it's just like the, the fizz that gets to my and, stomach. Yeah. I mean, that's why I can't drink sparkling water. Yeah. Yeah, I just it's just not for me. Like, yeah, my body needs, doesn't want it. It's, I just yeah. end up burping the whole time. Because yeah. <laughs> I know for me, like I can do kimchi and sauerkraut, and yes, my stomach likes well. those. Yeah, but it doesn't like kombucha, so I think it's more the gas than the yeah. flora. Um, but yeah, so I guess like there's no blanket like oh, fermented foods are gonna work for everyone or are gonna 
again, like if you think about it, it's not necessarily that your gut is lacking in good probiotics. It's just that sometimes adding more in helps your gut to feel a little bit better. It helps gives it that relief. Like yeah, it like calms it a little bit. Um, yeah, and I know a lot of people with IBS kind of think like, oh, well, I should just cut out like every food that might be inflammatory to the gut, which people generally see as like gluten, sugar, mm. dairy, all those sorts of things. And I would say don't cut out things unnecessarily um, because firstly, those things have not been proven to... Dairy can be a trigger for IBS because lactose is high FODMAP, but not all dairy products have lots of lactose. Not yeah. all dairy products are high FODMAP. Not everyone is sensitive to lactose. So it's worth experimenting, but don't just like go and cut out dairy like, for no reason. I'm never going to have dairy in my life yeah. again. Yeah. Um, gluten also like yes if you have celiac or you are gluten sensitive it can make your symptoms worse a lot of gluten containing products are actually um high in fodmaps so like certain breads are high in fodmaps and things like that so some people do find that eating certain wheat products can worsen their ibs but that doesn't mean that you're gluten sensitive or that you actually are gluten intolerant it just means that maybe the FODMAPs that tend to occur in gluten products are an issue for you. Um, and sugar, I think it's all about the dosage. You know, large amounts of sugar definitely draw water into the gut, definitely make you bloated and gassy. But small amounts of sugar, yeah. are not gonna, it's not going to do any harm. And fun fact is sugar actually promotes the growth of good gut bacteria. Mm. Yeah, Certain sugars or any sugar? any sugar like as in like cane sugar coconut sugar all those sorts of sugars whereas artificial sweeteners promote the growth of bad bacteria yeah. in the gut if i have artificial sweeteners that is probably one of my biggest ones do you know those like um diabetic friendly mm -hmm. sweets yeah those are the worst <laughs> but those are sends me yeah to the next level of bloat I've never been more bloated than when I yeah. have artificial sweetener. Not demonizing, just for me. Yeah, yeah. Not at all. They're known to be natural laxatives, let's put it that way. <laughs> so they definitely draw water into the gut. But those are those types of artificial sweeteners are known as sugar alcohols, and they basically just draw water into the gut and yeah, make you bloated, gas, people get diarrhea from them. And that's not IBS related. That's like everyone gets yeah. issues when they eat too much. That's like, why they say they have a thing on the package. <laughs> I remember my my friend literally her her and her mom made this new diabetic um friendly like new stuff yes and they're still working on their packaging so I read the packaging like everyone and I'm like oh it doesn't say like excessive amount will cause diuretic yeah you know the the, yeah. the norm of what they say so I'm smashing like five of these things and then all of a sudden just hits me I'm like message just straight away I was like my love have you not put on the back that if you <gasps> If you consume this in excessive amounts, you will poop yourself. Yeah. She's like, oh no, I always see that at Woolworths. I'm like, please put this on your packaging, please. <laughs> yeah. I must say though that sugar alcohols, those are types of, they are more naturally derived sweeteners and they're not bad for your gut flora. They're just like your gut flora eat them and yeah. then they produce like, <laughs> like gas and bloating. So um, if that affects your IBS, sure, definitely avoid those sorts of things. So can the let's let's, let's reword that. Um, can one's gut health affect their mood and vice versa? That was my last question for today. I mean, I know this question. Yeah. Because I've been there. <laughs> um, coming from like severe IBSC mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. it makes me feel really, really terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's yeah. get into the science of it. Well, I think there's a lot of research to show that a lot of our happy hormones are kind of produced in our gut. Um, so definitely having compromised gut health can actually cause like lower serotonin levels, lower dopamine levels, um, can be related to anxiety and depression and things like that. So I guess it's like a chicken and egg scenario. Like mm. some people are like, do I have anxiety because my gut's messed up? Or What's, do yeah, yeah, is my yeah. gut messed up because <laughs> of my anxiety? And like, you know, they don't know which came first. And I guess they're just so interlinked that sometimes you'll never know. And you have to address both in a way. But I think most of the time with IBS, it's your gut isn't messed up. Like it's not like, oh, you don't have enough good gut bacteria and therefore you're not producing enough like good chemicals for your brain and things like that. I think most of the time it's more like, your brain chemistry is a little bit out from stress and anxiety and that's affecting yeah. your gut and your mood. Um, but it is worthwhile to know that gut health does affect your mood and eating a healthy diet that nourishes your gut is important for like having a good mental space. I mean, it's one of the factors. There's so many other factors. I must say, like, just on that, when I make conscious choices for my body, whether it's choosing to move in a way that benefits me or eat in a way that I know nourishes me just that simple act of choosing what's best for me makes me feel good Mm -hmm. so it can be that simple like just acknowledging good choices being aware of them making them can also aid in lowering the anxiety around what you're feeling and what you're eating yeah for sure and like we've said like this whole episode like really addressing your lifestyle your stress levels the amount you train the amount you sleep the amount you push yourself i i really believe those things have such a huge impact on ibs on how your gut functions on your anxiety levels like not pushing your nervous system over the edge all the time exactly is so important yeah um and that links to everything yeah i mean it really really does so basically stop pushing your nervous system (laughs) um but yeah i think that's it for today Mm -hmm. um we will see you guys next week when we talk about how to get a balanced vegan diet um yeah so thank you for tuning in again we'll see you guys next week have a wonderful wonderful day bye